welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Destroyer. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Bukowski. I'd like to be known as uh, Kit Kat. Wait, what's that from? <laughs> is that from the movie we saw? Yeah. They made it. They, they're, it's part of their backstory. It's actually about Tic Tac. Oh, okay, right. Close enough, yeah. And with a tagline for Destroyer, Kelly Wand. Still interested. <laughs> <laughs> and that's in the last scene, in the first scene. Kelly Wand, I feel like that that could that's as good as any three taglines yeah. I've ever heard. Do you have more? I got two more. Go. Finally, a movie where Sebastian Stan plays a sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> and? and warning, not a prequel to Battleship. Oh, that was cute, because they're very good. Uh, I yeah, like that yeah. one. See? A little military Something... hardware reference. Very nice, Kelly Wand. Nicole Kidman wouldn't like it, but it's a callback to probably what's a better, much better Opsis. So <laughs> try, and, try and remember it. All right. So, Dingus, before Kelly Wan starts spoiling things with an opposite, <laughs> tell the listeners what movie we saw. This week we saw Destroyer, mm. a 2019 American crime drama action movie. Uh, about... uh, uh, back up, back up. What year was that, Dingus? 2018. Yeah, how about that? Okay, sorry. Carry on. Just but right to... now it's 2019. As, as the math expert on the podcast, I just had to correct your math. I only remember one digit. <laughs> well, it's going to be on my next year's list. Ha ha! I said Along with Death of Stalin. Uh, American crime drama action movie about how successful people get over things. <laughs> it was directed <laughs> by Karen Kusama. <laughs> and written by Phil Hay! And Batman for Brady. Those those guys do have very celebratory names. Like they sound like they're names of people that would throw a party. Yeah, they sound like uh, I don't. You don't you do this, but when you type in like congratulations in a text on your iPhone, it immediately goes like it shoots confetti off sometimes. <laughs> right, right. That would, that would be the icon. Yeah. Uh, one of those guys, by the way, is Karen Kusama's uh, husband. So. Oh, which one? Phil Hay or? Matt Manfredi. Uh, Dingus, I don't ask me questions that I don't know the answers to. Right. Maybe both. Well, it could be both, yeah. <laughs> uh, it stars Nicole Kidman, Sebastian Stan, Toby Kebble, Scoot McNary, Bradley Whitford, and Toby Huss. Destroyer is rated R for language throughout, violence, some sexual content. Spit on it. And brief drug use. Oh, uh, yeah. Kelly one, is there anything missing from those MPAA warnings? I noticed uh, improper use of a storage unit, um, <laughs> some parenting, but the drug use is legal since they're cops. B plus. <laughs> get out. Yeah. Well, this did not get uh, a wide enough release to have a Cinema Score rating, but if it had a wider release, it would have gotten a D on Cinema Score. Uh, my evidence for that is on Rotten Tomatoes, the average, the, the various, the, the positive, percentage of positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, 77%, that's from critics, but the audience award, this is people who can just go in and click on Rotten Tomatoes and decide whether it's positive or negative, only 51%. Regular people aren't, aren't crazy about this movie. Uh, they're going to the trouble of clicking, so they're that right. kind of person. Right. Uh, on Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews is 61 uh, it had a – I don't know what Annapurna was thinking, but it had a 
I, I guess it was just for award season, but it came out on Christmas Day in three theaters in 2018. So Dingus is technically correct. It's sort of a it's 2019 release for all intents and purposes. But to get it out for award season, and Nicole Kidman did get her Golden Globe nomination. Uh, they released it on Christmas Day in six theaters. Then it had a wide release into 30 theaters for one week. And after that, it's gone back down to six theaters, uh, and so I imagine it'll be online soon. But uh, I, I don't. Annapurna tends to do large releases. I don't know why this one was just such a, a short, modest release. But sounds like a breakdown in faith. But I don't understand why, considering. Uh, well, I, well, you know, we'll talk about what kind of movie it is, and would uh, I? I just don't think that there's a. I think they really did it just because, hey, Nicole Kidman should get award recognition for this performance, so we're just going to give it a little token push, and then later on we'll do some online streaming release or whatever. I, I really do feel been, like it was yeah. just the obligatory stuff for an award season. That might have been part of her deal, too. You know? Sometimes they are like, well, you got to push me for this. Oh, oh, right, right. The actor will. Right. Like, so, so yeah, I'm, I'll sign on to do your little movie if you uh, will push me at award season. Well, the point being, it doesn't have any box office numbers that are worth mentioning. So they didn't wasn't given a chance, but it maybe probably wouldn't have anyway. I don't know. I like to live in a dream world. Speaking of dream worlds, <laughs> Kelly Wand, I would like to see Destroyer through your eyes by listening to oh, a dis, a Distropsis. Hmm. It's not bad. Thank you. Go with it. What'd you say again? I forgot. <laughs> Uh, the the Kelly Wan Destroyer synopsis would probably be called the Distropsis. Just guess. Okay. I had Destroyopsis. So. <laughs> it's a little bit. That's one syllable too many, Kelly Wan. You don't. I know. I was those. trying to play to your zone. Yeah. I it's overshot. A little, uh, it's a little up the nose. See, that's okay. <laughs> Destroyopsis. Nicole Kidman stares at us from the driver's seat of a parked car. She looks destroyed, all right. I lean over to Clint sitting beside me and go, guess she just watched The Gray. <laughs> She's, she staggers over to a reservoir where a couple cops are standing over a dead body. The fat one's all, oh, oh great, Kidman's character. <laughs> Oi, the character has a name in this. I think it's Officer Destroyer. <laughs> This is me American accent, and I'm playing it gritty, like Charlize and Monster. <laughs> Who's the perp? Uh, the dead body? That's the victim. Do you know what perp stands for? Kidman brushes away some annoying fingerprints and points at a tattoo of a smiley face on the back of the guy's neck, then at a matching one on her own neck. Soilus is back! Well, obviously he's back. This is his... Shh, no! Don't say that yet! <laughs> <laughs> nods at a toy gun. I'd say he was murdered with that. I could tell you more, but it'd be a spoiler. But you two I'll find out in a few minutes after I go sit in the car and watch some skateboarders. I think you'll see me kept in a new light. Oh, you mean we'll like you? Probably not. But you'll be all, what? Bye! Thanks for saying stuff, Nicole. <laughs> she sits in her car and watches skateboarders. The look on her ravaged face is all, the daughter's probably dated all those losers, too. <laughs> the words all destroy Opsis. Nicole goes to a Latino man's spacious garage. She looks in a car window and sees he has a bag of gun barrels, 
Wait, as infant daughter of the passenger seat. <laughs> but she doesn't comment on it, as she's not a huge fan of the kid either. <laughs> hey, I say, long time no exposition. I have a murder weapon with your name on it, Taiko, or I will in the future. I think. Kelly watched this pretty high, so I need you to call me some names. Hey, I say, I keep my nose clean now. I do commit lots of crimes, though. Just for that. She takes the baby out of the car and puts it in her trunk. <laughs> hey, what you doing? That's not legal, I don't think. Make your own. Call me names, preferably human ones that affect the case we was talking about. You open a can door of pan the worms. They don't make the right size Tupperware <laughs> lid for. Oh. Uh, <laughs> can pan of worms. <laughs> stupid part is it's written correctly. I'm just dumb. <laughs> she flips him off, then looks at us out her side window, grins, flips us off, and goes, Destroyer! <laughs> she floors it, but forgets to put it in reverse, and winds up hitting the Latino guy. Later, she visits a dying fatty in a hospital bed in his living room. Hey, sorry about Bucky getting killed. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, also, can you turn my owl statue there around 180 degrees so it's not facing me? I don't think you understand how owl's necks work. Also, soilless spec. I need names. Just let it alone. I did, but now there's an irritated baby in me trunk. <laughs> hey, so that was Silas's body beginning. Prometheus's microwaved head and Batman both rolled their eyes at me. <laughs> okay, I'll give you exposition, but you know what it'll cost you. <sighs> Nicole sighs and starts giving him a hand job. Beside me, Olivia Coleman's all, Ask him to do your legs! <laughs> once the hand job's over. Oh, uh, whew. Yeah, I meant it'd cost you $3, but okay. <laughs> also, when I said spit on it, I meant the owl. Exposition! Oh, uh, yeah, a Russian roulette guy sits in an office at a church that specializes in Mexican funerals or possibly serves food, the signs in Spanish. Kelly doesn't. Nicole storms off, and I think forget she already moved the owl's head because she does it again. Meanwhile, she has a flashback of her and Bucky 17 years ago, drinking at Hooters. <laughs> and how'd I get my metal hand? Captain America shook it too hard when you first met. Hearts to masturbate. Uh, okay. But yeah, alright. Um, and what's Bucky short for? Destroyer! <laughs> AB plus. Um, I didn't actually study any of the stuff on you. I just figured I'd wing it. So now kiss me. I don't want to be surprised later. She belches, puts some gum in her mouth, and kisses him for a while. Eventually, she's all, "Think you can pretend to like that?" He gives an open-ended answer, but his face is glum. <laughs> There's a flashback of Nicole and Bucky at Shoot Club. <laughs> a guy watches someone scream for a bit and goes, "Uh, looks like you're lost in a forest, dude." 
I'm not lost. My avatar's a searcher. I'm searching, damn it. <laughs> Squirt herder. Jeez. Silas is all, hey, Gary, here. He tosses him a loaded gun. Do it or don't do it. Gary apparently only hears the first part. He picks up the gun and points it at his face. Nicole and Bucky look at each other. Her face is all, we're undercover cops. Should we care? Bucky's face is all, eh, it's Gary. Eventually, Gary pulls the trigger. It clicks. Everybody laughs at him for still being alive. <laughs> Silas is all, oh, uh, by do it, I meant just pass the gun to Tony over there. <laughs> You're weird, man. <laughs> Gary, wanting to prove to Silas he's no longer servile, hands him the loaded gun and runs off giggling. Hey, look, there's three bullets in here. You should buy a lottery ticket. Everybody laughs at how dumb the lottery is. <laughs> Bucky and Nicole look at each other. Bucky's face is all, that was boring, sorry. Hers is all, I'll have to pee. What did I miss? Beside me, Gerard stands up and yells, Oh, I see you guys like Den of Thieves when it's Nicole. Oh. <laughs> Gods of Egypt dumb, Days of Thunder genius, okay. Beside him, Gosling stands up. Gerard, give it up. You can't get through to them. More than saw Gangsta Squad than Blade Runner. I haven't even seen Gangsta Squad. <laughs> Such a chip on his shoulder. Eventually, one of them sits down. Back in the fake present, Nicole enters a funeral home and tells a grieving Mexican... I need to see me Russian roulette friend Gary. I'm with the government. Aliens, an umbrella, cream cheese croissants, Chinese fax machine. I'm about to walk off screen. Nicole tricks Mexico by all the doors being unlocked. Suddenly, in her 19th hallway, a single door happens to be open, and through it she sees Gary sitting at a desk with a gun to his head. He squeezes the trigger, clicks emptily. He's all, damn it! <laughs> So, he's like walking. See. Suddenly he sees Nicole. Damn it! So he somehow gets past her in the tiny hallway. So she chases him through stuff and up a hill into the famous L.A. woods. <laughs> <laughs> they both huff for breath while the director and camera crew wait impatiently. <laughs> Finally she's all, I didn't mean to interrupt your recreation. Speaking of which, I've heard the forest searching game's even better in VR. I just need to know... Where the next character I talk to in the live? He's all Bradley Whitford. I think he was Fraser's brother. Nicole drives around in her car. Her phone rings. Her ringtone's that U2 song from Batman Forever. Hey, it's your black friend, uh, Antonioni. Um, I need you to call me. Uh, whichever timeline this is, my number's, um, <laughs> four. Beep. Nicole goes to a... <laughs> Nicole goes to a nice house and watches Whitford yell at someone's kid in a batting cage. Kids aren't into baseball anymore. They like games about forest searching, although that was 17 years ago. Now, which character do I annoy after you? Whitford's all. You ever see Super Chicken? 
His assistant was a retarded lion in a college jersey with a backwards F on it. Also, uh, Tom Six Car was the Thunderbolt Grease Slapper. And George of the Jungle, that lyric, when he gets in a scrape, he makes his escape with the help of his friend, an ape named Ape. And away he'll schlep on his elephant ship while Fella and Ursula stay in step. His wife's name's Ursula, although he called her Fella. So if they're the same person, then who's the... A guy, I guess, also lives there, gets bored and pistol whips Nicole. <laughs> Tricks him by puking, so he puts her in a bathroom. <laughs> she suddenly sees a tube of toothpaste, walks out, and hits the bored man in the face with it, killing him. <laughs> then breaks Whitford's nose with the toothpaste. Enough 60s cartoons. I want to talk about something totally unrelated. Drugs! <laughs> now what's Petra's character's name? And where's my next scene at? <laughs> Please, not the floss, too. Is that piece of shit kid losing at baseball to a robot gonna grow up to be like you? Oh, God, no. Nicole goes to visit Toby Huss. He's all. <laughs> I sure show that Michael Myers a thing or two. <laughs> that was a good matchup. Then she visits Scoot McNary in his driveway. Then she goes and visits the female characters from Halt and Catch Fire. The next day, she meets her daughter, Nicole Jr., for lunch at Denny's. <laughs> Damn it, daughter character, that's the third household you and your friends have murdered this week. You need discipline. You were stupid for having me. I need to know where you are at all times. Um, I'm at Denny's with, with you. Slow down. Um, I'm at. Shouldn't you be writing this on your hand? Suddenly, the daughter's greasy douchebag boyfriend shows up and sits down with them. Nicole's all, oh, I'm not paying for three coffees. She storms out. <laughs> then she remembers she's supposed to be staking out a chick named Petra, so she goes to a park to try and remember where. She looks up just as Petra walks down some grass, then gets annoyed because two people walk around her. <laughs> She's a uh, classic Petra. Nicole drives around, then parks and watches as Petra and her mask enthusiast friends walk into a bank with some guns, giggling. Damn it, a bank robbery. If only Bucky was here. Those were his specialty. She picks up her radio. Kidman to police station where I work at. We have a 387 Magnum ribbed in progress at a bank on whatever street this is. Okay, uh, we're sending a couple extras. Later, crouched outside the bank. Boy, Chiquita, you smash through the window and draw their fire. Kellen, you go and buy dynamite to blow up the bank. <laughs> Chase that female one who looks easy to a grocery store and stash her in me trunk. I mean, make it C4. Chiquita's all, what about Miranda rights? The hell with Miranda's, this is a good fight. Destroy her. <laughs> She goes into the bank and shoots everybody but Petra, then chases her around some places and shoots some more pedestrians. In the grocery store, Petra tricks her by kicking her stomach, but Nicole counter-tricks by one of the store customers wanting her to win the fight instead of Petra. <laughs> Destroy her! Finally. Nicole, hey, I had the same thought you did. Bank robbery, let's grab some tasty grinds first. Uh, sounds like someone's banging on your trunk. Uh, also, your womb's got a footprint on it that says Petra's left shoe. Nicole's all, boy! She drives off, accidentally hitting the other police car. Later, in Petra's apartment, Nicole handcuffs Petra to her handcuff collection. There, that ought to fix ya. Destroy ya! Dear ya! Destroy ya! Dear ya! <laughs>
Petrazol, hey, can I have a flashback? She flashes back to kicking Nicole in the stomach at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Hey, you're going to cut me a deal, right? I get to kick you in the stomach once a week. Petra's phone rings. Her ringtone's Lady Marmalade. Right, Silas. Now remember exactly what I told you to say. Yeah, all right. Hello, Silas. Hey, come to the place in the first scene of the movie tonight and face the other way like the owl so Nicole can shoot you. I mean, don't say the last part to Silas in the actual call. Okay? Hi. Nicole yawns, then goes to visit Scoot McNary's porch again. Hey, I had a cool idea. I'll get the money me and Bucky stole from his storage unit, and you can use it to take what's-a-face somewhere. Also, quit your job. Scoot's all, all right, I'll go quit right now. Hopefully you already made sure the money's intact. Nicole's all, destroyer! She drives to her storage unit, opens it, unzips the bag, looks at the cash, and goes, damn, I guess me purple makeup spilled on it. Oh, time for pill. Destroyer! Yeah! That's all written in there. Time for plan B+. Plus. Later at the same coffee shop as before, Nicole sits across from her daughter's BF. He's all, I've been sitting here ever since she was last here. What's her face left, I guess? Roy, here's $11,000 with $3 worth of purple makeup on him. Move to Spokane. <laughs> Spokane? Ugh. Or where? But just also, don't bring me daughter with you. Fine. Nicole. This is what he called it. Nicole goes over to a different table and sits across from her daughter, the same diner. Mom, oh my god, your stomach has a footprint in it? Oh, this is so embarrassing. Look, Nicole Jr., you're the best daughter ever. I'm the one with issues. I'm a destroyer. I lied, I stole, I married a Scientologist. It was the 90s. A lot of things make sense when you're playing a hooker psychiatrist in a Schumacher Batman. But now look at me, DC Universe portfolio. Oh, I just played the most sought-after role in Hollywood. Aquaman, mom! <laughs> I had to go to Bangkok just to train in how to fight CG and talk with an underwater accent. <laughs> I thought his mom was just the ocean. Also, your father had a metal hand. That's why you left boobs like that. Nicole loses interest in the conversation and has a flashback to 17 years ago when she accidentally left her purple makeup in the same bag of money. So Bucky got upset and shot a bank teller, and then he shot himself by accident. Then she has another flashback to her and Bucky in a coffee shop parking lot. See, it's the perfect plan as long as I remember to deposit me purple makeup at a different branch. He gets tired of her and walks away. Oi, Bucky, nice ass. It's all yours. <laughs> She grins excitedly at the thought of what's inside. That night, hello, Soilus, it's me, Destroyer. Well, well, this is a flashback. Um, look, I only came back to town to get my forest searcher game cartridge. Uh, so how come I don't look 17 years old? Oh! <laughs> she tricks him by shooting him. The next day, she sits in her car like in the beginning of the movie. Her black friend walks up. Hey, Nicole, Chief told me you might be parked here. Antonio, here, take this, and this, and these, and that. She gives him a storage unit key and a $100 bill with purple makeup on it. Uh, thanks, but you actually owe me $500? You'll figure it out. Now get out of here. Let me sit in the car. He walks off screen for a few feet. Nicole sits in her car and stares at us. The daughter's boyfriend, we learn, moves to Spokane after all, which is also where Scoot McNary moves himself and the daughter to. 
the boyfriend and the daughter resume dating again. And now he has $11,000. Nicole stares at some sky. And I think it's implied that the skateboarders eat her in slow motion. <laughs> the end. Uh, Thank you, Kelly Wand. Tough. It was a tough mm, one. I can imagine. Yeah. Destroyer. Yeah. Just got to start typing random shit and hope for the best. <laughs> I, I like how spirited she was, like Amelia Clark in Solo. So that that yeah. Australian, that Australian gusto. Sure. It's yeah. really not like how she is in the movie at all. <laughs> I just change it when I don't think it'll be funny. Yeah. Well, it worked for me, Kelly Wand. That was very nice. <clears throat> so, uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you go first? What's a movie that's better than Destroyer? A movie that's not quite as good. And very briefly, what did you think? Uh, very briefly, I really liked Destroyer. Uh, my over and under were cops with issues movies. So my over was the killer inside me, uh, which I think I liked a little more than this. But... I don't. He's a. Oh yeah, he is a cop in that. I'd completely forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think like he's a sheriff. sheriff. Yeah, yeah. And I'd read the book to that, so to me it was like it was really faithful to the book, and it was really excited by it. Right. And there was also Jessica Alba, but there was like a lot going on in it that I enjoyed. It had a lot of visuals. Um, and my under is Narc, which I didn't like as much as this, but I also really like. But I think it's slower, and it's not quite as effective. But I really liked her character, so I really liked her acting. Um, Dingus, what's a movie that's better than Destroyer, a movie that's not quite as good, and what did you think? All right, so uh, I would put Atomic Blonde just over this, um, mainly because I was really taken with how... Nicole Kidman held her pain. Uh, I'm really impressed with actors who can do that, who can who can sustain uh, their injuries throughout the course of filming a movie. Because that, I I just find that fascinating because I think it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, because movies aren't shot in sequence, and you have to figure out where am I in in my pain sequence. Um, and I thought she was she was really good with that in a variety of ways. I loved this. I I absolutely loved it. I and trying not to see. show it too. Yeah, well, you know, it's aware. like a wounded animal trying not to show right. they're they're in pain so that predators can't get them. But when in private moments, you can't help it. Um, and she's really, I thought she was really good at that. So yeah, I loved this thing. Uh, under, uh, I would put. I almost went with Den of Thieves, but it would be too far below. Um, so I'm not a. Fuck you, Dingus. I know. Uh, I would put Big Lebowski under this just because of the L.A. kind of hmm. what kind of weird situation, twisted situation. I mean, it doesn't have the, the sense of humor that Big Lebowski has, of course, or that sense of, of uh, madcap absurdity that Big Lebowski or uh, absurdity might be too much. Um, just chaos, I guess. Uh, but uh, I'm not as big a fan of Big Lebowski as you guys are. Uh, over the years, I've come to appreciate it more than I originally did, but I like this more than that. Uh, I love your uh, pick of Big Lebowski, Dingus, and also this ties into Kelly Wan's pick of uh, Killer Inside Me, because those are both – Killer Inside Me is classic noir. Uh, Big Lebowski is uh, the Coen brothers kind of tweaking the noir formula, uh, and one of the things that I really like about Destroyer is it's a modern-day noir story mm. uh, in, in a lot of ways, so it has a lot in common with – uh, I think what made Keller inside me and Big Lebowski uh, special. Uh, so my over and under, what what I like about this is uh, I, I am really excited to see uh, women in roles traditionally played by men where it's a gender flip that's not 
just a casting decision, but it's something meaningful in terms of the story that's being told. So my over and under are other examples of this, because I think of this as it's a classic 70s cop movie about the burned out divorced cop who doesn't play by the book, who's angry and drunk and weathered and scruffy, uh, easily resorts to force. Uh, but played by a, a woman in this case. Um, so my over and under are examples of that sort of thing, because I, I feel that Destroyer has a lot to do with the fact that she is a woman. It's not just a woman playing a part that a man would normally play, which Atomic Blonde kind of is, and I don't mean that to criticize Atomic Blonde. It's just a, a spy story that happens to have a really awesome chick in the lead, whereas I feel Destroyer having a woman play the part that a man normally plays in this kind of movie is significant for reasons I want to talk about. And other examples of this, my over and under. My under is a movie called The Bronze, where uh, normally you have a dude like Danny McBride playing the, the coarse, vulgar, former athlete uh, who's mean to everyone. Uh, and in The Bronze, it's a woman. Uh, and I love how The Bronze just takes that formula of that Danny McBride crass asshole comedy and uh, puts a, a female character in it. Uh, and my over would be Fury Road, which is very much a Mad Max movie, but Mad Max is played by Charlize Theron, and the fact that she's a woman ties, not literally Mad Max, but the lead character isn't Mad Max, it's Charlene Theron's character, uh, and that ties into the movie's themes about f fertility and subjugation. Uh, in this, this post-apocalyptic society. So those are my over and unders. I, I loved this as well. Um, I am just so into Karen Kusama now, even when she makes terrible movies, uh, and this just uh, has cemented my uh, admiration for her. Um, so uh, Dingus, I, I almost made... So I, I saw this with Dingus, Kelly Wand, and unfortunately we were late. Uh, and I almost, Dingus, made us get up and leave because mm. uh, the two things that two things that I deeply admire about this movie – well, one of the things I really admire about this movie is how the, the climax of the movie is the conversation with Shelby, with her daughter. And it's just such a powerful scene, uh, and all that's left to do after that is to resolve the puzzle in the movie. And mm. – Dingus wasn't there for the setup of the puzzle, which is unfortunate. I'm sure you could sort of figure out what was going on, Dingus, but there's a whole time jump thing that I, I, I swear to God, I was about to say, Dingus, we gotta, we gotta leave. We have to come back and we can see the whole thing. But we were up against the clock. It was the last chance to see it before we recorded. Um, but, but so Dingus, you missed out on this idea that early on there's a whole fake out about her investigating a murder, and. Over the course of the movie, the final reveal is that she's the one who actually committed the murder because we open with, as Kelly Wan mentioned in his synopsis, her showing up drunk uh, and beaten up at a, at a murder scene. And we don't know who the victim is, uh, and the cops are super dismissive of her, and they're like, you know what, Go get out of here. Uh, and she says, what if I could solve this? And they would be like, yeah, what if I know who, know who did it? And they'd be like, yeah, it'd be great if you can solve it in a day. And then the movie unfolds where she's investigating this murder that she was at. But what we find out in the course of the movie, Dingus, is that we have seen the end of the movie already. And there was a time jump backwards, and everything that she supposedly did to investigate this murder are actually things she was doing to set up her revenge against Silas at the end. So... The emotional payoff is the scene with Shelby, and then the narrative payoff is that puzzle being solved at the end that, unfortunately, I don't think you got to appreciate fully, Dingus. Um, uh, is the moment at the beginning that I missed, uh, is it clear that that's 
Silas? It's no. No, not at him. all. Yep, it's just you a don't body. see him. And as a matter of fact, it's just a body. And that's what I'm convinced uh, Toby Kebbell's ridiculous wig is all about. Is okay. when, when you first see the body, he's a, he's a shaved head. He's a guy with a shaved head. Um, so you don't even connect that once Toby Kebbell shows up with that goofy wig, that that's the body. And exactly, Dingus, once you actually see her walking through that, that fence up to where Toby Toby Kebble is standing, you know that's the scene of the crime. Like, that shot is a huge reveal um, because of the, the opening of the movie. Huh, that's, it's really weird to hear that because as Kelly Wand was doing his opsis uh, and sort of filling me in on the fact that I, I was either thinking, okay, why is Kelly talking about the end of the movie at the beginning? Um, I, I began to, it dawned on me what you're talking about. Uh, but it kind of – I hate to say this, but it kind of smacks of the, that feeling of 48 hours earlier uh, kind of uh, a trick. Um, I don't you – know, well, there's I mean, no – With it a payoff. Yeah, yeah there's I'll no watch. title card. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole – like I said, it's a whole puzzle, like a, a general noir mystery. Uh, and this okay. is one of the plays of the noir mystery is – you know the the solution to the mystery is that the person investigating the crime is a criminal, uh, and it's not a it's not a forty eight hour it's not a you know four hours earlier it's not a you know forty eight hours earlier trick because that's not something that you as an audience member are privy to. Okay. Uh, so it it's. Uh, it, it's the puzzle that gets set up that isn't solved until you actually see her walking up to Silas and he's burning the wig, and you're like, oh, this is the scene from the first part of the movie. This is, you know, he doesn't have the long hair anymore. That's why the body, who we only see the back of his head, has a shaved head. Um, I have a question. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, okay, but she goes to the cops there. Oh, so Silas is back. Uh, he started it. He killed, he killed someone, so I'm going to kill him. Who did Silas kill that reactivated her? Or is well, that, was that well, just why she was saying? Chris. That was 17 yeah. years ago, though. No, so uh, Silas, and this is a little thing, something I'm not clear on. So the movie, basically, the the events of the movie that aren't the flashback to 15 years ago start with her showing up at work and being handed the envelope. And Dingus also missed this scene, uh, being handed the envelope with the the dollar with the the hundred dollar bill with the purple dye. Right. And that Silas, because Silas then says to her at the end of the movie, "Did you get the you message I sent you?" And Right. So I don't know if Silas was taunting her or if he was trying to re-enlist her. Um, I'm not clear what the gesture was, and I don't – in a way, I don't think it matters. Uh, I think that's a taunt. He doesn't – he can't – he knew she's still a cop. Well, she was a cop when uh, – Right, I mean, but she ended a cop. Well, he also knows that she bizarre. that she took the money. Like, uh, there, right. right, right. That's a taunt then. <laughs> well, the whole well, thing too – the whole thing too is – well, it's not blackmailing her because he says to her, he's the one who basically convinces her that you know you don't. Nobody is what he says to her is nobody's watching you. He sells yeah. her on this idea of a of a universe without moral consequence. Uh, that is his kind of gift to her, a curse that after the life that she's lived, and she has that great line to Chris about all my life I've I've been jealous or scared or angry or hurt. I just want to experience what it's like to not have those things. To be on the other side of that, yeah. And that and that's you know Silas has has told her you know she's made this decision. Silas has told her nobody's watching you. You can do whatever you want. So, I, part of me wonders: Does Silas maybe think that he can? 
get her to join him again. Like, Sil- Silas doesn't, I don't know if he's doing it out of vindication or taunting, like you say, Kelly Wand. And this is definitely ambiguous. It can, I, I don't think yeah. the answer's in the movie. But part of me wonders is, did Silas think that, because he doesn't seem scared, by the way, when she shows up. No, no. That's something else I really like about the movie and her is, like, when you were talking about how it matters that she's a woman, like, no one takes her seriously, like, through the whole right. movie. They right. constantly underestimate her, yep. including Silas. Yep. And she proves them all wrong. And it's like – and she doesn't act surprised by their underestimation. She's like, yeah, I get it. She, I mean, they yeah, think I'm used I'm, to this. Yeah, yeah right. I'm used to this bullshit. Right, but, right. but she still wins. But isn't the end of that line where he says, nobody's watching you, doesn't he also say, but I know who you are? And wouldn't sending her that money be him saying, I know who you are? Just just as as he is effing around with Arturo uh, with the gun, he just is a guy who likes to have puppets. And I think he's treating her in the same way. He's saying, you didn't get anything over on me. I know who you are. And I did this thing that destroyed your life and the life of your daughter. Um, Does he know about Chris? I'm assuming so. And I'm also assuming... If she thinks she's weak, he, he knows he still can't trust her, even whether she's weak or strong, and he thinks she's weak. So I don't think he would be one to realistic. But I don't think he cares. I think that he's uh, – this is he's part of his – with her. This is part of his – but it's also part of his drug. I mean uh, having people – Yeah, that's true. Like, like handing somebody a gun and forcing them to do what he wants them to do or – I have just, leverage on you. And, and then laughing about, about it and – and being like, oh, come on, stop stop letting people fucking push you around uh, after pushing them around. I think he's I think he's that guy, kind of a guy, that kind of character. And that's why she hates him so much. Well, well she hates, hates him. him because he killed her. That she, too. She killed Chris. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, I mean, put it this way. She spent 17 years not chasing him down until he comes. Back. Well, we don't know. I mean, the, the part of the beauty of this movie is things that it doesn't really bother to tell us because it's not important to the movie. And I think one of the right. things that's not important to the movie, and this is kind of a fake out, uh, is Silas, is who he is, what he was doing. Right. And it's also not important where to the movie. Where he's been. Uh, exactly, where he's been. Or has Nicole Kidman, has she, did, did she stay on the case? Like, that's not important to the movie. What's important to the movie is this episode after she gets the, the stained hundred dollar bill back and what she decides to do what she sets into place what she sets running what she engineers uh which we as a viewer we think it is an investigation but the reveal is this is a revenge story that we've been watching right um, right but it's but implied think... that she fucked because the cops treat her with so little respect it's implied that the case was considered a huge debacle well i think she spent a lot of those years i mean those so many years in the inter- intervening years uh well not just doing penance but circling the drain i mean i think that her as you see in the difference between the way she looks early in the movie and the ravages of alcohol later in the movie um that she's just uh, she's been spiraling downward for a long time slowly and finally she comes to a point where she can't take it. Take the idea that she's failed her daughter so much anymore, uh, and also failed Chris. You know, failed to yeah. live up to what she said she would, or what she wanted, it, which was to see life from the other side. Because she didn't go back in with him. It was all him in the bank. Did she die at the end? Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. All right. So, so I, I think I didn't understand that the wound, uh, and then I realized that it was just. It, I guess she had these huge injuries from being kicked so hard yeah but she, it, yeah she but she 
She, uh, she well, Petra and DeFranco's bodyguard. Yeah. Uh, uh, she she basically yeah gets kicked to death, and I do think I don't know how intentional this is, but when she lifts up her shirt to show the bruise, that it when that shot kind of has this perverse inverted version of pregnancy. Uh, uh, right. Because she's just you know this place that she gave birth from that, that Shelby you know when we when she lifts up her shirt, it's just this grotesque red horrible bruised. Right, like it's almost like rot or corruption. Um, she has died Spreading. from she has died from the internal bleeding in this place where she she once gave birth to Shelby. Um, but yeah, yeah, she she definitely dies, Kelly Wand, from her that's, sins. That's a really good connection, Tom, and I didn't make it at all. Uh, I I was thinking more along the lines of like the internal injuries that um, that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt suffers. It's it is him in brick uh and he's talking about i think i swallowed too much blood and over time that will kill you um and then when she lifts up her shirt i was like what happened and then i remembered oh well she got kicked so many times by so many people that that will kill you especially if if you untreated well not only that she's damaged the inside of her body over the years yeah and and tom relating that to giving birth almost like a c-section uh really makes a a great statement, I think. It's also a reveal too, which uh, again you miss this dingus. But early on, when she shows up and she's she just seems really weak, everybody thinks that she's drunk, and right. we we the audience also thinks that she's drunk. We don't realize Staggering. that she's dying and that she's been kicked to death over the course of the okay. last day. So it it basically creates this idea of the character. Yeah, she's a drunk. She's a burned out drunk. Nobody takes her seriously. But what's happened is she's finished her revenge plot, and she's going to make sure that you know she's just coming for one last look, and then she's going to go return to her car and die. Um, and I think she knows that. The ending actually reminds me a bit of uh, at the end of Winter's Bone, Teardrop mm. decides to basically uh, that, that that rather than just sort of backing down from something, he he exits stage left to his death, and he mm. you know that's. That's the final decision that his character makes, and it strikes me that Destroyer is very much like that decision that Teardrop makes, uh, but we see it play out. Uh, That she at some point has decided that whatever it takes, she is going to kill Silas. Uh, So is there an early early moment with her and her uh, partner besides the thing that happens at the car? I mean, is there an early moment in the movie? Because there's there there was a moment. Uh, before we met, before I met him, I should say, where somebody says, "Where's your partner?" Right. Um, uh, no, right. that's we we haven't met him yet. Uh, oh, he's, okay. He's yeah. calling her periodically. So it's not like a, not close. There's, there's not a moment where she goes into the station and she's dismissive and says, "I'm doing this on my own" or anything like that. No, she's avoiding the station. Oh, okay. right. She she doesn't go. She she goes in the station. She gets the the marked bill. because uh, because we see we see her. Uh, it opens with her at this murder scene, uh, mm. walking up to it. She, it actually opens with her in her car. She gets out of her car and she walks over to this murder scene, and she looks at it. And the cops say, "Go, you know, basically go home. You're drunk." And so she leaves. She gets in the car. Uh, what the movie doesn't, what what actually happens is then her partner walks up. She gives him all the materials so that she basically confesses. Uh, posthumously, gives him all the materials, then he walks away and she dies. But what the movie does instead is she gets out of her car, goes to the crime scene, the cops say, go home, you're drunk. She goes back, gets in her car, goes to the station and receives 
her mail and has the marked $100 bill in the mail. That's the narrative trick that the movie does is makes us think that when she goes back and gets her in her car that she exactly. then goes to the station. But what really is happening there is it's rewinding to the moment where she's walked into the station, she's gotten this bill, and she's decided – I'm going to kill Silas. I have to dodge my partner to do it. I have to okay. you know, not be accountable. And you also missed Dingus. There's this great scene. We walked into the middle of it where she uh, she goes to Toby Huss um, yeah. in a federal building. And, you know, she's waiting in the lobby and he comes out to meet her. And they, they just have some niceties that basically involve him uh, – involve them both saying, you know, it's it's been a lot of years. Like we've both come a long way. Uh, so there's the sort of the – the, the, they reunite, and then later on you see the young version of Toby Huss as her boss, sending her in undercover. Um, right. Yeah. So so anyway, she takes the bill to him, and she says – and I, this is where we walked in – and she says, I just need to know if the serial number is the same, if it's one of the bills that was stolen in the robbery, to just uh, verify that it is Silas. Uh, and also, I think to cover – to set up her – well, no, she's not trying to trick anyone. I was going to say to set up a cover story that uh, Silas is bad. But yeah, she did, I guess just to verify that that is one of the bills, that she didn't just accidentally get mailed a purple $100 That's bill. Thing. She's turning herself in, so she's being kind of coy with the two cops at Silas's body. She's five minutes away from death. Right. Well, I don't think she cares about them. Like, I, I think she's no, like, I fuck know. those guys. And that's why she, you know. Well, why bother we with don't... the murder weapon? Like, oh, I got murder weapon with someone else's name on it. Like, oh, you're right, Kelly Wand. Yeah. I it's love that. Relevant. I love that line. You smell like. <laughs> what did she say? You smell like the murder weapon. Yeah, and it's like oh, a no. garage. Murder, the murder weapon smells like it comes from you. I think is the line. Yeah, that's good. You know what, Kelly Wand? I I'm I, I'm wondering now. She probably didn't intend. Like I guess maybe she didn't intend to die. <laughs> so so when right. she realizes she's going to die, she sets up the confession. But that was the whole idea with stealing the guns, with setting up with toby huss that that silas was involved so that yeah. when they find his body uh yeah so she she didn't intend she changes her mind from the outset right well she changes her mind because i think she knows she's been killed and she's got to send her daughter off like i think she knows that she's dying but um, she knows she's dying then when she goes out to see the body that's only five minutes before that right 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 but i right but so i'm she's saying all, hey look the murder weapon okay bye right i i think like i'm saying i think she doesn't she doesn't care about those guys like she's she's basically just kind of taunting them, and that's why she says, "What if I know who did it?" Like she knows she's right. minutes away from handing her partner, who's presumably someone she does care about, her confession before she dies. Yeah. Okay. She's just she's just kind of like having it on with these guys. She doesn't care about them. She's like, "Fuck I this." Know, she, her, she flips she them off and she walks away. Yeah. I did she, like. She doesn't necessarily know that the partner's going to come to her car. I mean that that's right, what she right, would right. Ask. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's when she decides. Now, in the in that opening scene where where you you guys are talking about the the setup, uh, does she say that the those same lines that yes. she says at the end with yep. uh, what if I what if I knew yep. who did it and they're like, well, that would make things easier. Yep, that's all there. Okay, um, all right. So she's not being coy; she's tipping them off, and she's giving them a spoiler alert. Or yeah, or or like I'm I said, dumb. just just taunting her. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, so yeah, because she knows nobody's going to take her seriously anyway. Because yeah. everybody thinks she's a drunk, and that that goes through the movie. 
like I think her daughter first says, "Are you drunk?" and then the then whatever that boyfriend's name is, Jay or whatever, says, "Oh, you're you know you got a badge, but you're just a drunk cop. Get out of here." I mean, nobody takes her seriously, so she knows yeah. nobody's going to take her seriously. I, I love because I've never seen this in a movie. I love when she flashes the badge in the bar, and the bouncer's like, "So what?" <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> There's so I like nice little touches like that in this movie, and that's one of the things I love about it. There's that weird elbow moment. I mean, I mean, there's just great little touches in this movie. I really What's the elbow remember. moment? I don't remember. I just remember writing down the. Oh, oh, it's a, it's a uh, Bradley Whitford shouting at his son. Elbow. Elbow. Yeah, elbow. <laughs> yeah, and I love. I mean, I'm a huge Bradley Whitford fan. So, but, but it, it is weird that he shows up and he's like. He's almost a character from another movie. Um, Tequila is this lady, Dingus. And then eventually he sort of uh, transmogrifies into this movie where, you know, he's he's just being glib with her for a while. uh, I think she's ridiculous. But that's part of his thing. And then she beats him down and asks, is is he going to turn out like you? He's like, no, he's a good kid. I mean, you, you realize, oh, there's some gravity there. I really love the way Bradley Whitford plays that. I'm crazy about that guy as an actor, but I'm I'm a big West Wing fan, so that's why. Well, not just gravity there, but I think it's one of the scenes where it's setting up uh, what what is going to be the, the central decision and theme of the movie, which is about parenting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so when she says you teach him to be a piece of shit like you, that's her projecting. Yeah. Very good. Um, yes. Very good. Yes. I didn't think about it that way, but absolutely on. And I think Nicole Kidman, she plays it. Like when he says, no, he's a good kid. Like she has this – there's a there's a very small reaction. But, I, you know, the second time I saw it and realized, oh, you know, that that's her projecting. And when when he says, no, he's a good kid, like that, that hurts her. That hits her. Yeah. She, she realizes, oh, you know, you don't you – don't, you're – He's a better parent than me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And that's what makes that, that later scene that you were talking about, that powerful scene with her daughter, who I uh, I wasn't crazy about that actress in particular, but I think Nicole Kidman carries the scene just fine, and the writing carries the scene as well, uh, so that they get away with it. Uh, that scene was incredibly moving to me um, as uh, as a parent who sometimes feels like a failure in some ways. Uh, it was just... A, a great impact, but I think you're right that it's set up in that moment where she has that exchange with Bradley Whitford's character. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a couple moments too. Like, yeah, I mean, just because that's the thing too is normally it's the the male cop divorced from his wife who's busting his balls who goes to see his kid. Like, it's just it's it's a completely flipped situation mm-hmm. that normally is the man playing it. Uh, and I, because normally you know in 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 these kinds of situations where there's the divorced cop, it's, you know, his wife has custody of the kids and he has to go they have to see the kids on the weekend. Uh, Is it them in prison? That's Den of Thieves thing that's going on too. Yeah. But you here's know. the thing. The, in the, in, when, it's a mo- when it's a male, it's like the guy has to go around and he beats up people. That's why I really like the hand job scene. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly. That's because she's a woman. But you can tell from her like she doesn't give a fuck about it right it's nothing to her like she finds it slightly annoying but she's not like you know like in a hollywood movie she goes i'm not doing like she would have somehow just turned the tables on him like i'm not going to give you a hand job but i'll do this and she'll like extort him or something or it would have been character it would have been a a scene you know the the character would have just experienced like great shame and devastation for having had to do this and she had none of that yeah because it was right she was was just 
That's a bold. She was disgusted because it was gross, but she wasn't. Yeah, but not like, oh, look how far down I fall. Right, exactly. A new gateway of. It it was. It was a. Yeah, yeah. It was a tool in her toolbox. Like it was something that, you know, it was disgusting. But that would never be in a movie. That would never be in a movie with a dude cop. Just, right. Yeah. And when he's like, open your shirt, and she's like, alright, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you gotta see me. Stupid in guys. Time, go ahead. Whatever. And then his, his information is like, yeah, he's in the city somewhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she looks at him like, really? For that? <laughs> Uh, so, Dingus, you mentioned that Bradley Whitford feels like he's in from a different movie, and one of the things that I like that Karen Kusama did here is the way that she casts Los Angeles as, yeah. and this is so trite to say, but not a character in the movie, but certainly the setting, uh, Los Angeles as a varied place, and this is something you see in a lot of noir, things like Chinatown, uh, the different aspects of Southern California, of, of Los Angeles and Hollywood, and Karen Kusama uh, you know, from the, the the bit with the Dodgers game, that uh, downtown church, the the L A the L A River, uh, you miss the 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 Federal Building when she goes there, uh, the the mansion in Palos Verdes. I mean, there are all these disparate places in Los Angeles that aren't the classic, you know, Man's Chinese Theater or Venice Beach. Um, uh, and so, so I love how this is also about moving around these different areas in Los Angeles and navigating these different kinds of people uh, in, a, in a noir situation. Uh, what's the movie uh, – because I love that you say that because I kept thinking that. I thought that during their their chase, uh, her foot chase, where they were just both so tired. Yeah. <laughs> but then I thought also there's this huge panoramic shot, panoramic shot of – of like a hillside in the ocean and it reminded me and what's the peter fonda movie i think it's steven soderbergh's movie where he says you can see the ocean from here the limey yeah. isn't that isn't that the, the limey? limey yeah 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 the limey it reminded that reminded still. me of uh, it was a sort of a contrast to the limey and the way the limey shows like areas of los angeles to somebody who's not necessarily a lot right angelino exactly uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really, uh, I really like that. I, and also, it, it's it's just fun. I mean, I understand why people get excited when they say, "Hey, this was filmed in my hometown in Nebraska. I love, I, I know those locations. I've been to that place in in England or whatever." Uh, because even though you expect to see things in Los Angeles in cer- certain movies, it's still really fun to see things that are like right down the street from your house or things you've passed before. Uh, I just like I really liked the way that that it was a character in this movie. Yeah, you can certainly see like when she's driving towards the airport, you're like, "Yep, I've had to drive to LAX down those streets." Yeah, yeah. I uh, think uh, you didn't like the girl playing Shelby. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about her. I thought oh. she was just a little petulant. Well, not, I mean, she's. Yeah, well, I mean, she's, she's supposed to be. Yeah. But I didn't think she could handle. I, I didn't think she could handle it as well as as Nicole Kim. I, I didn't think she rose to the occasion as well. She's just not. She doesn't have that experience or whatever, but she was fine. It's it's not that I thought she was bad. It's just that she stood out for me as not being as good, I guess. And I, I don't I, I I'm loath to talk about uh, younger actors in that way because they don't they don't necessarily have the experience yet. I mean, she'll grow into it. Um, but... I don't. I don't. Th- what, I don't know what she'll grow into. I thought she was great. I thought she. Oh, okay. Well, I I loved how uh, in the scene. So so the scene between her and Nicole Kidman at the end, which I, as I mentioned before, I think it's the emotional climax of the movie. It's the payoff of yeah. the movie. Is that scene between the two of them, uh, and uh, the young actress. I think her name is Jade Pettifer or something like that. Uh, she 
there are sequences. I mean, you can see the uh, mm. talent of an actor in how well they listen. And I think when she's uh. listening to Nicole Kidman and when she reacts to Nicole Kidman's change, uh, when she talks about, I've done terrible things, I've lied, like it's heartbreaking to hear her realize that something very different is going on with her mother. And that little actress does that transition, I thought, very well. Um, and also, I, I just love how Karen Kusama shot that scene when Shelby is talking about the camping trip. Yeah, uh, it's almost entirely on Nicole Kidman's face because that's where the dramatic events of the scene are happening. It's Nicole Kidman being reminded of that, and not just the daughter recalling what she had to write about in school. Um, you almost see none of that actress delivering that speech, and all of it is on Nicole Kidman listening to, to that speech. Uh, and also, that little girl, I, I mean, I just find, she's got huge eyes. Like, that is such, a, almost like anime level. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's, just those, those big old eyes. I mean, that just screams, like, innocence and youth to me. Uh, so, I, I loved her. I thought I thought she was great. Um, we don't know what Kidman told her about who her father was. Like, well, I, and I also loved, too, that was another moment that I loved that, uh, yeah. that that young actress did. As soon as Nicole Kidman started to talk about her dad, she was like, no, Ethan's my dad. Yeah. Ethan's my dad. Like she, this is a, a young girl who, and and also you get re, you get revealed in this scene, information about Nicole Kidman's character about Aaron Bell having been abused and neglected as a child, burnt with cigarettes, left yeah. alone with your brothers for two weeks with nothing but cereal, nothing like, but boxes of cereal. Yeah, yeah that. and, and that's that's information. And, and Nicole Kidman says, I never told you that. And Ethan has said that. Like, Ethan trying to, I, I presume, stand up for Aaron Bell, for, for her mother, has basically sat her down, Shelby, and said, look, this is what your mother's had to deal with. This is why she is the way she is. It's just so much backstory you can infer from these little clues. Right. There's never anything about – and like, it, it never explains who's – How she met Skidmanary. And it doesn't need to. Yeah, all we need to know about their dynamic are these little bits of information that are revealed where you can then imagine Ethan interceding on Aaron's behalf to Shelby saying, look, this is what your mother went through. Um, yeah, he plays that character beautifully. And he doesn't really have to do – he doesn't have to do much in order to play that character beautifully. He just kind has of, this this sense about him of of like this tired sadness – but protective and yeah. at least reliable. And he's they at know least, each other. He's at least reliable, and he he doesn't know what to do because his daughter is turning into her, and he doesn't want that to happen, and he needs help, but he can't count on her. Yeah. Uh, it's just yeah. a heartbreaking performance, and it's just a small little thing that he does. I really he, loved him. His, his decision to take the money too, like yeah, when he's yeah. like, "Okay, uh, you know." Uh, I also love. I love little details like this. When he's walking out to the car, he's got you know a, a bottle of wine. Like he's going to go on a date. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I love. I mean, that's not yeah. specifically said, but you see a guy in a sports coat who was just a working guy who installs ducks. You see him in a sports coat. You see him carrying a bottle of wine. Oh, he's got a date. Like he's, he's a super, doing all right. Yeah, exactly. He's a functional dad stepdad and uh, yeah he's got a date tonight he's got uh, a life and and that's kind of that's got to be painful for aaron to see yeah. uh, in a way that's, this movie's so great something that bugs me in movies is where you can't picture the scenes that aren't in the movie happening 
like that. That movie with, uh, what's her name? The Devil Child and Renee Zellweger. Case 39. How can you not remember the name of Case 39? Case 39. Thank you. Like, once she's at it as a demon, it's like, yeah, you still had to sleep in the same house and have breakfast with her and drive her to school. Like, how did, those, how did any of that shit happen? But, like, what did you talk about? Like, why? You didn't say that scared all that time. But in Destroyer, if I may compare these two films, um, like, you really get a sense of the conversations they've had before that aren't in the movie. And, like, they're not going to repeat the same things. Like, they just yeah. look at you like, yeah, yeah, we've already had this talk a thousand times. Yeah, daughter too. Yeah. It's like just a sense of weight and years and like and 17 years is a long time jump and it, it, it's convincing, which is really hard to do in a movie like this using the yeah. same act. That's what I love about that. Go, so aged. Go, go get the money scene is is the sense that there's so much history packed into that little scene. Right. Of, yeah. Uh, the money's here. I haven't touched it. I haven't looked at it. Um, I will don't. And go. he knows about it. Uh, but 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 there there's so much folded into that. I mean, there's, yeah. it's like an, a implications. little little. There's so many impl- implications, like a little, little origami. A level of trust. I love that. I also she love, told him about it, and he didn't out her. I also love the things, uh, and I think Karen Kusama does. How do you say your name, Karen Kusama or Karen Kusama? It's gotta be Kusama, right? Yeah, um, Kusama. Uh, and I watched uh, a couple of her movies. I, I'd never seen Girl Fight before. So it's interesting to see how she grew from there to here. Because uh, Girl Fight's really an enjoyable watch of a movie. But it very much feels like the works of a fl- the work of a fledgling director. And here she's just got so much more uh, confidence. Um, so and I don't know if this is... Uh, if this is different in the first scene that I missed, but I love that there's no like big speech before she shoots him. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Just, oh, right, right. Yeah. The, yeah, she exactly. Like, she has nothing to say to him. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. This isn't Usually. some bullshit cop movie. I'm here to just do this later. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to entertain you, fuckers. <laughs> I'm not Ryan Gosling. I always kind of hate that. that I'm going to give you a long speech, and then I'm going to kill you, and there's kind of yeah. no reason for me to have given that other than to give my own, myself my own catharsis. And That's to, awesome. To tell yeah. the audience. She just, she just shoots him. She just, like, I'm not some screenwriter jizzing all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally a drunken cop who's... I've been kicked in the stomach and I'm tired. I'm gonna go sit in my car. Here, fuckface. And, yeah. and that was really profound to me in, in a weird way that she just didn't even bother. She just, all right, I'm here. I'm shooting you. And that's yeah. that. Here. And it's not like a dirty, hairy gunshot. It's like a pat. It's like this really kind of lame kind of gunshot. Like like a cap gun well it looks it, stupid too it's a stupid looking gun it's yeah. the same gun that arturo used right right yeah it looks like a toy it has a weird wait no it's not it it's like one that she stole from the 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 baby guy yeah i thought that his name was arturo oh, sorry i thought that was <laughs> arturo's gun no no she she got the bag of guns from the gun dealer that was oh, like yeah. A, yeah, yeah yeah i know but it, it had it looked like the same revolver that arturo oh used. oh right right well right. there's a flashback I mean, to the Russian garage rule. guy yeah, and she says murder weapon. Oh, I knew I knew where she had gotten it, but I didn't know if it had traveled over this distance. Right. Yeah. Because she talks about the smell. Uh, but anyway, I just made that mental connect- connection because it looked like the same type of weapon. Um, and, and again, like 
you said, Kelly Wan, it looks like a little cap gun rather than like a big, scary, dirty, hairy gun. But it needs to for our benefit so that we go, oh, yeah, that's that gun. It can't just look like any kind of gun. So it's like directorial thing, maybe. I don't know. Well, I, I, I was delighted at the, the gunplay in the robbery scene like because oh, that was yeah, so yeah. That unexpected. Was that was a great that, that, robbery scene. It really was. And when you think about it, too, like they had the interior uh, for the, the – the shootout they, they, they you know they shot that interior uh, sequence with the, the gunfire exchange uh but then when it spills out into the street the implication of just widespread chaos is there yeah. but she does it all with sound effects like there are no big elaborate set pieces on the street it's all a helicopter sound effect and gunfire sound effects yeah. there's there's very little uh actual shooting on the street other than a couple of shots of a cop running down the street uh so i love how just how she suggests this chaos and it's not a big michael man action sequence like right, it doesn't exactly have to be. right yeah it, that's exactly what i thought i mean and there's this great moment right before they go in and what what's the what's the line sequence where the where the the cop is like shouldn't we wait for backup and she's like this is the gunfire yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. And then, like you said, Tom, that she does it with these little like holes in the wall and people ducking behind things and bodies flopping around. And then, oh, there's a body over there, and 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 a stray. You just hear I'm hit yep. from off in the corner. And yeah, she she really pieces that together. The editing in that is perfect. And then she goes out on the on the street, and you see Petra like fall down get up fall down and get up and stumble down the street and you realize what's going on but she doesn't have to show you all of the little all of these little gory details but you get you get a perfect sense of what happens and how it's structured and it's so exciting oh man i i i'm glad you brought up michael mann because i was thinking about the contrast with heat as well yeah and and how heat is is bank robbery porn which is which has its place and which i love but this was just more quick and not 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 quick, but more dirty and real and just just gritty and just bam 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 and the thing that bugs me about heat is there's no civilians in it like in this, like it's just them fighting and there's like no like it's just the characters and in this she has to worry about civilians. Well, yeah, when when she goes and into they that fear. yeah, and that ice cream shop like that's which yeah. Kelly Wan called a grocery store <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you guys know who Tatiana Maslany is? Like, do you recognize her from anything? Who's Tatiana Maslany? Uh, Petra, Petra, the actress who played Petra. No, no. Man, Not I love her. I don't. I don't know Orphan Black. That's the answer. But, well, most people That's know her from Orphan Black, which I is a, a yeah. I, I don't either. Um, but I loved her in this. Uh, in in an uh, interview, yeah. Nicole Kidman said that uh. When, when she was cast, the original plan that Karen Kusama had was to do the flashbacks with a different set of actors. Hmm. Uh, and that Nicole Kidman insisted, no, I, you know, I, I want to do both sets of scenes. Uh, and that's where the, the whole makeup situation came from. Uh, and therefore, then using Toby Kebbell and Tatiana Maslany and the fellow who played Arturo, uh, the fellow who played Toby, uh, to have all of them in both scenes. And... I, Nicole Kidman She's the talked, most ravaged, yeah. Nicole Kidman talked about wanting to do it just for the sake of the arc of her performance to really uh, wrap her head around the character. Yeah. Um, and also it's a like critical a, decision. I, I, exactly, Kelly. I think it's a critical decision because I connect much more strongly with the fact that these are the same people. Like when you watch something like The mm. Debt yeah. where uh, – Tom oh, Wilkinson <laughs> plays – yeah, Sam Worthington. or Yeah, exactly. When you're watching famous actors – playing younger and older versions of themselves. I, I get 
I don't hook into it as much as I did with this, where it's clearly Nicole Kidman, it's clearly Tatiana Maslany. Uh, there's a girl named Mickey Hagen who I recognize from Tangerine, who was one of the the uh, women in the the bank robbery scene. Um, but I, I just loved that it was the same actors, and Nicole Kidman talked about having to do it for her process. And normally I might think, oh, that's such a silly actor thing to say, but it it's true. It makes a difference. Yeah, and her body types that's a, different. That's a good yeah. observation. I mean, because I think the ravages that 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 her body goes through and her face goes through are important to see. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. transitioning from a different actor to her would make it feel artificial, I think. Right, exactly. But it helps yeah. the story and the characters that she's the one who's the most affected by the years. Like, yeah. As yeah. opposed to the Russian roulette guy. Oh, yeah, Arturo's holding up pretty well, if I do say yeah. so myself. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's another moment I loved when he opens the door at, in the in the in the bar, the restaurant, wherever they are, and he and he immediately recognizes her, recognizes her, and runs. Yeah, yeah. I love that yeah. moment of recognition. I love little moments like that where it's just immediate. It's just oh shit, and he yeah. runs out. That's yeah. so great. No words necessary. It's it's. It's like just one of those weird, uh, I don't know, like Bill Murray running off in Rushmore. It's like, okay, uh, we're not going to have a confrontation. I'm just going to run away. See ya. <laughs> yeah. uh, I noted, too, the uh, the end of the conversation. Do, do, do you remember how their conversation ends when the and then it cuts to the Dodger Stadium in the background? No. Because I think also this is part of the her formulating – like what, the world building is at Dodger Stadium, but but as far as her decision, her final exchange with Arturo is she's making fun of Arturo uh, for helping immigrants. She says, "Are you are you making up for uh, your past sins? Are you doing this because of what you did before?" Uh, and he says that you know, no, I'm not doing it. And, and then she says, "Well, if you you know, if you're trying to make up for your la- for your sins, if you're trying to make up for what you did by doing these good deeds, when does it all add up to even?" Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and then he says it doesn't work like that. And she says, well, when are you done? And he says, well, when do you think? Which yeah. means, you know, when you're dead. When like, you're like, dead, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's – that right there is like that's that's a clue for the structure of the movie and what's going on where we still think we're watching an investigation. But when you watch the movie a second time, you realize, well, that's – yeah, this whole idea of adding it up to even, it, it goes until you're dead. You live with this. Like it's yeah. the rest of your life uh, and you can't get out of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does reward repeat viewing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not like Black Widow getting, you know, getting out of the red in Into right. Black. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Always bet on Black Dingus. <laughs> black Dingus. Is Super Chicken really a thing? What? Yeah. <laughs> oh. So you didn't understand any of those jokes I was doing. I thought Don't it was just like a... Super Chicken. Jay Ward cartoons. You never watched any of those? Rocky and no. Bullwinkle. Oh, Rocky! I know what Rocky and Bullwinkle is, but I've never heard of Super Chicken. So when Josh, when uh, when Bradley Whitford is doing that bit about Super Chicken, I'm like, did they just invent a cartoon? Because what kind oh, of cartoon character right. says, "You you signed up for the job, you knew what you were getting into"? Like I thought he was completely. It was some fake product placement cartoon. No, he I takes drugs just, like Underdog to be. I thought it was just a conglomeration wow. of like. Uh, robot chicken and something they made up. And, that's what and I thought so, too. Yeah, I, lo- yeah. I love that you call him Josh, by the way. Because <laughs> that's who he's in the West Wing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Super Chicken and Fred and Tom Slick and uh, George of the Jungle. There's I only know about Tom Slick because people have made fun of me, of my name, by singing the Tom Slick theme song with my name in it. Tom Chick. Right, exactly. Tom Chick. Yep. See? See? That seems like it's. 
either complimenting you. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this idea that there was a theme song that Tom almost a cool character. It almost had my name in it. He's Kelly, one. What was the name of the video game they were playing? Forest Searcher. <laughs> Someone does say, "What's this game called?" Do you remember that? No. It's it's barely because there's something else. It's over. It's there's other dialogue playing over it. But someone asks, uh, it, it's like uh, in the gray when they're getting on the airplane. If you listen, like the guy taking their ticket says, "You guys are fucking this up. Let's go." Like it's just little dialogue in the background that I love hearing because I love the idea of someone, an airline attendant, taking the ticket, saying that. Uh, yeah. So somebody in the 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 gang house scene says to Toby, what's this game called? And then someone else says, up your ass. <laughs> Wait, that's the real answer? I thought that guy was just joking around. I, I, don't, I don't think that is the name of the game. No, I think that, that was... So what's the forest? The butt hair? <laughs> it's Kelly Wan, it's a metaphor. Wow. Oh, I see. <laughs> so they made up a video game, but not Super Chick. Just to be clear. Do you know who the blonde guy was by any chance? The guy who plays Toby? No, the the guy with the short blonde hair. Is that Toby? Guy with the short. You mean the the guy who was released on compassionate release? The guy the, who who was in who the, the hand job. Who who? No no no. Guy, oh, is that the guy? Is that the same character? So so yeah, the guy who gets the hand job is the guy who's in the van with her. Uh, his name is Toby. Oh, uh, oh, I thought he was killed when she ran into the dumpster. Nope, nope. He lives. He goes oh. to prison, and yeah, he, and that's then the he, moment he learns she's a cop and goes, "I'm going to get a hand job from her." Yeah, eventually. in fifteen years, right? Yeah. <laughs> he looked like yeah. a fat C. Thomas Howell to me for some reason. Um, <laughs> uh, I've seen I that guy around. Grieco, like a fat Richard Grieco, maybe. Yeah, because he's got like weird buggy eyes. It looks like he's play a villain a lot of times, but uh, yeah. Right. I didn't make the connection. I thought he was just. I thought the the implication was that she rammed the van into those uh, dumpsters and he was killed. Right. No. No. He because oh. he, he's the yeah he's the guy who will get cancer in prison and who will she he will eventually. Biggest thought revisit. that she killed him in that. Scene. Right. Biggest <laughs> thought. Yep. That was her solution to him bothering. Are you a cop? <laughs> 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 Destroyer! Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what Karen Kusama movies did you watch? Uh, I watched Girl Fight, and then I started to watch Anne Flux, and I couldn't get past about uh-huh. six minutes of it. <laughs> Anne Flux is so horrible. It is terrible. It just opens with this long, protracted, I am this, I am that. This is a bunch of yeah. narration. Oh, it's so bad. I get all those movies mixed up. There's like... The Mila Jovovich one. Yeah, uh, we were talking about that. Ultraviolet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't think Aeon Flux. Like, if you know, it, it, basically, if you, you sort same. of know, if you know how Karen Kusama feels about it, watching it, things make so much sense. Like, she's basically disavowed it and said, "Like, I made this movie. The studio took it from me." What you're seeing is what they cut together. I wash my hands of it. Like that's oh, that's really? pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she knows how horrible it is. Did Tom um, watch Jennifer's or did Dingus watch Jennifer's body? Uh, I couldn't. I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't. I, I mean, I couldn't acquire it. Uh, I couldn't buy it in time to watch it. As opposed um, to Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox, huh? D- uh, I I want. I really wanted to watch Jennifer's Body because you've talked about it numerous times, um, but Me? I still have never seen it. Yeah, you. You've brought up Jennifer's Body many times. 
on this podcast. I think Tom likes it more than I like. I'm the Jennifer's body apologist. I like Jennifer. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I'm just over the moon crazy about Karen Kusama now, and it's because of how different all of her movies are. Right. Uh, yeah. And and she. Yeah. You know, you look at this in comparison to The Invitation. The Invitation is an intimate parlor room drama about paranoia. And, uh, like, it's so – and it's the same script writers too. Matt Manfredi and Phil Hay also wrote uh, Invitation for her. Um, oh. Th- these movies are just so different from each other. And Jennifer's Body, of course, it's a Diablo Cody script. Yeah, um, that's the problem. Um, yes, me. Okay, fair enough. But it, Jennifer's Body, though, it's doing bold, different things. Things. I mean, you can see what they're attempting, and whether it works for you or not, that's fine. But I just love how different it's being uh, from mm. other horror movies like that. Like it's, it, it really has a, a different agenda, and it's especially got good chunks. It's got good chunks, and especially just for how female-centric it is, rather sure. than let's it's a have. Off. Right. It's not let's have the woman be the victim, and then she'll prevail in the end and beat the the man. It's very much about the relationship between t- two women. Um, there's a lot of like Bechdel test kind of stuff going on in Jennifer's body. And I, I, I deeply admire that she and Diablo Cody did the movie that way. Um, I'm the chip of this relationship. I really do. I do like, uh, I mean, I watched a, a smattering of episodes of Halt, of a show called Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah. I'm McKenzie, an apologist. Mackenzie Davis, yeah. Yeah, Tom's uh, favorite girl. And, and she directed some of those, and of course Scoot McNary is in those. Oh, uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I liked watching – what I liked about watching uh, – starting with Girl Fight and then watching uh, a little bit of Adam Flux and remembering Invitation and having watched some Halt and Catch Fire is that you see this arc of her as director like really growing into – and and I said this earlier, being confident about what she's doing, and uh, and I understand what you're saying about Anne Flux. I didn't know that she had disavowed it, but I could see that happening, like it being taken away from her and whatnot. Um, and I love the fact that she comes back around to do this kind of thing, and just puts puts her stamp right on it. Yeah. Uh, and th- this really is like I've talked about what makes a perfect movie, and I, I wouldn't necessarily characterize this as one i adore this movie but this really is just firing on all cylinders three groups of creative people a director her two writers and her lead actor just Mm. really in touch with each other and what each person is doing and just all just clicking beautifully you know the script that nicole kidman is given the performance and karen kusama's execution of the script and how well she captures nicole kidman's performance and and lets it drive the movie i mean it's like nicole kidman She's like this – her performance is like a burning engine. It, 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 it's, it's combustible the way that it drives the movie, uh, and it's just yeah. so fierce. Uh, I, I just – so what all three of them are doing, the two writers, Karen Kusama and Nicole Kidman, uh, this is what, to me, movie making is all about. Yeah. I like that that, uh, that you said burning engine because what I was hearing when you said the word burning was burning cigarette, like a, uh, like a cigarette that's finally burning out, but I like burning engine. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so, uh, Destroyer. Dingus, did anyone see Destroyer? I guess no one could. That We probably no. should have waited till this was online, because no, it's such a limited release, which is a I don't bummer. understand that. And I the mean, thing is, we... you know, Chris Markinson, who usually writes in, actually contacted me and said, I can't see it. It's yeah. It's not Most, but nobody's going to listen to this podcast, because nobody has any way to see it yet, so. Even Germany got Destroyer. 
eventually. Oh, that's... I saw it in the theater. Yeah, so it got an international release. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I saw I... this on the big screen. Kelly, one, do you know if thought of it? Do you know if it was Annapurna that distributed it over there? Like, do they have an overseas distribution thing? Yeah. Why do okay. I think of Annapurna in the same mental breath as I think of A24? <laughs> I don't well, know. they're both. Is it they're just both A. Uh, well, they're both indie. And they're artsy. Yeah, I, basically, A, Annapurna is where A24 directors go after they've succeeded. <laughs> like oh, okay. Annapurna, Annapurna <laughs> is. Uh, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. It's Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson's movies. It's Catherine Bigelow's movies. Um, Annapurna, Sisters Brothers, um, okay. Jacques Arqu- Jacques Arquois, whatever that guy's name is. Uh, but Annapurna is more, I think, established directors. Uh, whereas A24, they gamble more. Um, okay. What about Annapurna Joy? But I can... <laughs> Kelly wants to save gotcha. it for next week when we see Glass. Uh, but I spoilers. Can see, I can see the image. I mean, there are a few. Uh, studio logos that I can see in my head if you just say the name. I can see the way that the Anna Perna uh, logo resolves on screen with that weird sort of fuzzy, like, out-of-focus kind of thing that does. And I can see the way that the A24 logo uh, resolves on screen with the colors. Um, I can see them in my head, and so I associate those two together for that, I guess, for that reason, because they're just indies, as you said, Tom. Annapurna's been dipping their uh, fingers into video games as well, actually. Really? Yeah. Which ones? Forest um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see. They published Up Your Ass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't uh, what... finish that on normal. <laughs> okay, what? Uh, there was a game called, uh, oh, shoot, what is it? Whatever became of Edith Finch or something like that. What happened to Edith Finch? Uh, shoot, uh, I forget. Wasn't it's that some... Heard movie? No, no, but it, it's some arty game, and they published that. Kentucky Road Zero. I played something else recently that had their name on it. Uh, Kentucky Road Zero. <laughs> which which number of the series is that? Gotcha. I don't. I don't. That'd I haven't played zombie. those games. Is that a zombie game? I, you know what? I'm not entirely sure, Dingus. It's a it's a serialized uh, adventure game that I don't even know if it's finished yet. Like they've made oh, um, okay. installments of it, and I'm waiting for it all to be done. And I've heard great things about it. Like. Kelly One, do you not know about Kentucky Road Zero? I don't know about any of them. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the Kentucky Road franchise is uh, blank to me, Tom. Zero from uh, zero on up, huh? All right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd like to know more. Well, I'll start with negative one and work my way up to zero. Annapurna, they, they'll, uh, yeah, I think they'll, they'll help it get to you. I'm so horny when you say Annapurna, I get horny. Like, oh, Annapurna. <laughs> Wait, why? Because <laughs> it sounds like a girl. It doesn't mean like Purina, like cat food. That, that, yeah, see, <laughs> Oh, what? Oh, God. Oh, 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 Kelly Wan. Well, come on. It's boring when we all agree on a movie. Kelly Wan, as penance. the listeners some stupid scatological. Well, liberty. Kelly Wan, as penance, and speaking of lubricant, <laughs> what is this month's 3x3? Three three? Oh. Ah, well done, Tom. Well played. You really ladled that out. <laughs> well, this we this month's. Offering is a real bowl of chum, you might say. Uh, if you, chum? Chum is chum, a soup? Chum, so. <laughs> That's soup for sure. All right, I guess I know what my number one pick is. Okay, yeah. Why we'll don't you come play. down here and shovel this, label this shit? That's soup for sharks, isn't it? I guess so. Fair enough. It's the really gold boy on of 3 by 3s you might say. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really brothed my main game, my A game. Let's not do these in the morning anymore. 
Germany morning. What is, what's your question? Okay. So tell the hey. listeners what the 3x3 three three is and how they can participate. Do you like movies about soup? Have you seen three movies with soup in them? Would you like me to read what you think about movies with soup in them, three of them on the air, which is what the internet is, I guess? Then send your choices to 3x3, best soups in movies, or worst soups in movies, just fucking soups in movies, to 3x3 at quarter2three.com, and I'll read it with this level of competence. And, and make sure to podcast. Don't just give us a stock answer. Ah, ah see, Dingus? Ah, yeah. Uh, make Boy, sure to think it's just really consummate my patience. <laughs> oh, God. Why aren't you guys saving this for when we do the three by three? Uh, if you have to condense it, if you uh, just ah! look at it, add a can of milk to Dingus. Uh, I wish I could participate. I'm not fast enough. You guys are too good at this. Uh, get us your soup. We were ready picks. in one minute in the microwave. <laughs> okay, now we're like, getting into instant food. That's not just soup. Uh, oh. February 4th, Midnight Pacific. Get us your soup entries, and we will read those on the air. Dingus, what should we see next week? I think we should see glass. Ugh. You think or we, we should see it, or where we are we just, seeing it? We should just look through it. Oh, I so don't want to see this. Uh, if you see glass and you have thoughts about it, we want to know what you think. Send your thoughts, thoughts to... 3x3 at quarter2three.com. Send those to us by January 28th, midnight Pacific. Uh, and Dingus will uh, call various comments from your email and include them in the podcast. We would love get it. What's that got to do with you to participate. Oh. Uh, bl- he will blow from the email. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's happening. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and will then he shatter our preconceptions. <laughs> Very good. Uh, right. I don't like sand. <laughs> Has Dingus cracked the, the topic? Of... Is All right. Sand. That is our Destroyer podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I Sorry. am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Molinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And the inimitable Kelly Wand. Because I like Malcolm McDowell, Netflix thinks I'd like Andy McDowell. <laughs> Did you know the Flash can speed brunch, Paul? I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. I could give a hair job for an Oscar. Is that all you fucking need? I need to do the horse. Jesus. Don't do anything that makes you uncomfortable. You've silenced Gosling.